X-Files podcast. We are back. I'm Will Harris. You're Alec Whipple. You're Ryan Garcia. And although this is the worst day record-wise for the Yankees this season, it might just be the best day of 2023 for the Yankees thus far. In the midst of an eight-game losing streak, after a week in which they got swept by both the Braves and the Red Sox, when they were victims of both bad play and bad umpiring, the Yankees finally made the move that we've been waiting for, or a couple moves that we've been waiting for. They have announced, or at least it's been reported, that Everson Pereira is going to be called up, that Oswald Peraza is going to be called up, that those guys are going to play every day. And on top of that, the Martian Jason Dominguez has been promoted to triple a so finally the investment in the kids that a lot of people have been calling for has been made whipple this is basically the worst we've seen the yankees play both this season and this last eight game stretch i have to imagine if we had been recording last night you would feel very differently than you feel right now you can give me your reaction to the last week if you want, but what is the reaction to the sing- signal the Yankees are sending about the way they want to manage the rest of the season? I mean, it's about damn time. I know Ryan Garcia is, uh, you know, going to chime in with probably his takes on how this should have happened two weeks ago. He's been very vocal on Twitter. And I agree with every single tweet and every statement that this is so long overdue that. The fact that we are only now when the Yankees are clearly out of the race, getting a Pereira, a Peraza call up, potentially more on the horizon is just, it's frustrating. It's exciting, but frustrating because it shows to me that they want to invest in these guys for their future for 2024, which is exciting. They don't believe that this was something that should have been done to help the 2023 team, which is frustrating. But at the end of the day, as you said, this team is playing worse than we've ever seen, losing in all sorts of ways. I mean, I'd imagine this podcast will probably spend two minutes talking about the game-to-game results of the Braves and Red Sox series. And my reaction... don't have to spend any more than we have, right? My my summary reaction is just the Ron Burgundy. I'm not even mad. I'm impressed. Like, the fact (laughs) that... At this point, the losses don't matter, and I think the bigger picture issues are more important. Um, But I know there's a lot that we want to talk about that is forward-looking, and I'm really glad that we did not record yesterday because our last week's episode was pretty bleak, and it's nice to have, well, although not everything has been fixed or will be fixed, there is something to look forward to, new players to talk about. And I think a lot of things that we should talk about, and I'd like to talk about just the way that we're viewing this team and framing this season as both a disappointment and, you know, what is it the beginning of what is it the, the, what does it signal? Because as we've said on Twitter, the Yankees don't need to rebuild. This team has a very deep farm system. There is no reason if it was any other team that this shouldn't be looked at as a new core rising to the majors, the start of something that maybe people are attributing to the Orioles right now or the Rangers, I think there's no reason that the Yankees can't be right there. I mean, objectively, okay, we'll guys get that we're going to talk about are great. And so, you know, prospects. And I think I'm excited to go into details, but the feeling I have is is the mixed emotions of frustration and excitement. And I think that kind of summarizes where we all feel right now. I mean, it's it's just been that kind of season. So, Ryan, you are a frequent Yankees Files podcast guest, the most frequent, actually. And you have a couple areas of expertise where Whipple and I have kind of more blind spots. And the primary areas that I'm referring to are player dev, broadly prospect evaluation, and also just a really good understanding of pitching. And we're going to dive into both of those today. But... We're going to talk about the 2023 team with you because I know you like the podcast that we did last week. We want to get the Ryan Garcia take on it. I was listening to your podcast caught looking with Max Greenfield earlier today in which you detailed some of your thoughts on why the Yankees ended up where they did. But all that aside, 
How different do you feel today with the report having dropped that these guys are getting called up, that they're going to play, and that Dominguez has gotten promoted to AAA than you did after the game ended yesterday on Sunday? I mean, I think the gap in like how you perceive the next month and a half is dramatically different, right? You know, I I think that Alec, you were, I mean, you were just spot on with talking about, yeah, it's overdue. Like they should have, Peraza should have been here a while ago, right? Like Pereira, the argument was the service date, the service time date on August 18th. And I do agree with their decision to hold on until after that date, because risking a draft pick for a team that at that point was clearly not going to make the postseason just felt irresponsible, right? Like that's an irresponsible decision. And, you know, I know that a lot of people and myself included have a lot of criticisms of the front office and how they've handled prospects. But doing this, I mean, I'm not saying it makes up for the other stuff, but it shows that they're not saying, okay, well, we've done it this way and we're going to continue doing it this way because we've committed to this plan or we've committed to playing our veterans. They had a meeting, apparently, according to uh, Aaron Boone, between Hal, Brian, and Boone himself, where they were talking about, you know, okay, who do, who are we promoting? What's our game plan here? And it's clear that they walked away with some difference in how they view the organization and how they view their farm system. Their farm system is good. And, you know, overall, this team is not very good right now. So it's a pretty easy, you know, it's pretty easy to see how that works out. But I think a lot of what's gone wrong for the Yankees this year, like you guys detailed, it doesn't have as much to do with, you know, now again, there aren't some, there are some pretty not great decisions thrown in there. Um, but it, a lot of it has to do with things that went wrong, right? Like I know people are going to say, well, Carl Rodon getting hurt is a thing that you can expect. And I do agree. Like you can't reasonably expect any pitcher for the most part to get hurt, but he hasn't just been hurt. He was bad when he came back. Right. And that's not normal. Um, and you know, it happens to Rodon. Fine. One guy is just a complete wash this year. All right, fine. Well, what about what happened to two guys? It happens to Cortez as well. And you know, a lot of people were like, well, he was bound to regress. He was a good pitcher last year. Like, I don't know where this idea that Nestor Cortez, like, went out there with, like, a 4.5 Sierra, struck out, like, seven batters per night. He was going out there with a 20% strikeout to walk rate, uh, pretty good quality of contact metric, metrics again, really good pitches and stuff plus. Like, his arsenal is legitimately good. This was a legitimate top 30 starter, and he was his entire season was a wash. I know yeah, Severino, there's, like, a little bit of BABIP luck, which... There's a difference between saying Nestor's going to go out and have like a 2.6 ERA again and Nestor's going to be terrible. Like you can recognize that he's going to regress a little bit, but that he's going to spend the entire season hurt, bad, or both. Like, come on. Yeah, like, again, I I mean, I'd understand if the peripherals were bad, but the peripherals are good. And and you can even just look between 2020 and 2021 and 2022. I mean, you're talking a 3.59 Sierra, uh, 82 fit minus, uh, 20.5% strikeout to walk rate. He increased these innings by nearly 60, or no, over 60 innings between 2021 and 2022. And his strikeout to walk rate only diminished by 0.5%. That's really encouraging. Um, You know, I know the postseason wasn't great for him, and I imagine that's where a lot of Yankee fans are like, well, he was going to regress. Well, he was also, we know he was pitching hurt in the postseason. In the ALCS, he was pulled um, for that hamstring issue, and he's been dealing with it all year. Uh, he's been dealing with something, the shoulder, the hamstring, whatever it's been. Um, But you, that's not even counting Severino. I, and then you have Severino, who, like, I'm not saying was supposed to be excellent this year, but he was really good down the stretch last year. I mean, I remember he came back and his fastball velocity, his stuff plus everything was great. And then this year he loses it. And it's not lose that is in just the velocity. Like he doesn't have the right on his fastball. He once did. He didn't lose the, the active spin. His spin rates are fine. It seems like a mechanical thing. It seems like he's compensating for being hurt. And I under look, this isn't even counting Montas as well. Like, and and Herman, I mean, Herman comes in, he's supposed to be one of your depth guys and he has his issues, right? So if you start just eliminating, the Yankees had nine major league capable starters this year, and about four or five of those guys were rendered completely useless for reasons they either A, can't control, or B, we can't explain. So right there, you take away the team's strength, and that's their pitching, and then you ask them to take guys who you expected to be in the bullpen and help you in the bullpen. You ask them to pitch more, they get hurt a little bit more often. They're a little bit more uh, open. They're susceptible to injury. You have to make Michael King a starter, which I I, I don't think I hate from like an experimental standpoint, but that wasn't in the game plan. No. Um, You know, it, it forces you into some really weird situations. And I know the offense has been bad. And that's really where most of the criticisms I think are the most fair. But even then, like, 
LeMayhew got significantly worse. Stan went from 115 WRC plus underperforming the the data and looking like he would just get better um, to being unplayable at times. Uh, Josh Donaldson, complete wash, and that didn't even didn't even play. Like he got hurt. Um, the only guy who's really taking a step forward is IKF, and it's been like by four percent in WRC. Well, Anthony Rizzo was taking a step forward, right? And he yeah, got hurt, rookie, but he was hitting the ball great. He was doing a lot of good stuff, and then he gets a concussion. So when you get a first percentile outcome from Anthony Rizzo, a first percentile outcome from DJ LeMahieu, you get nothing from Josh Donaldson, who. Look, I know Josh Donaldson sucked last year, that I hate Josh Donaldson, that one of my favorite players of all time was traded for Josh Donaldson. Josh Donaldson was destroying the baseball when he was healthy. Like, there are no two ways about that. He had a 076 BABIP. Like, what the hell? He was not, this was not 300x Woba Josh Donaldson from 2022. And should the Yankees have been relying on him? Probably not. But... To get nothing from him, nothing from LeMahieu, nothing from Rizzo. For Anthony Volpe to have a 64 WRC plus in like the middle of June or whatever it was, thankfully he has turned things around as Ryan and I were discussing earlier today. Like, so Ryan, and I I told you I was going to ask you this question. You've talked about a lot of the stuff that's gone wrong. If you had to kind of divvy up the blame... If you have the set of reasons, whatever you think those reasons are for why the Yankees are sitting four games under 500 today, and you had to divvy up the blame, you know, the biggest thing that accounts for why the Yankees are where they are today is this, next, this, next, this, next, this. What would those factors be and how would you rank them? Because I think that gets at the key question that has been burning Yankees Twitter to the ground, which was... How predictable was this? And that leads you to the question of how the Yankees should have or could have hedged against it. So how do you divvy up that blame? Yeah, so, you know, number one has, I mean, it has to be injuries, right? Number one, you have to, you like, you can, we can sit here and discuss the moves that they should have and should not have made. Um, but we have, you can't tell the story of the 2023 Yankees without talking about the injuries. And the injuries have been at times just mind numbing, like Aaron Judge crashing into a wall to save a game against the Dodgers that ended up costing us two months really of Aaron Judge's production and sunk our season. Right? Like, I, th- there's no, there's nothing in that play that you can do to prevent what happened other than asking Aaron Judge to not be Aaron Judge. And then you also have him getting hurt, sliding to third base, which has Aaron Judge ever tried to steal third up five runs in a game? Like Insane, I never dude. in my like I'm I, I'm not sitting here and saying Brian Cashman deserves no blame at all. But does do you think in Brian Cashman's vision of the 2023 season, he thought to himself, and Aaron Judge will be trying to steal third up five runs against the Minnesota <laughs> Twins in May. Like that that is, I mean, good lord, right? Um, even the production you've gotten from like, I know Bowers has slumped a lot recently, but you've gotten like from McKinney, Bowers, and like Calhoun, you've gotten something, right? Like it's yeah. like, hey, it's been better than what you expected. Um, but everything else around it has just been bad. Uh, Glaber's been right around where you want him to be, which like awesome, right? You cut his strikeout rate, which yep. people don't talk about for some reason. Um, but ultimately, you know, that's the big thing. Now, number two, I do think that there is um, a lot of things you have to look at internally. And the number one person you have to look at when we're talking about, you know, who's responsible for things is the owner, right? Like, and mm-hmm. the, one thing we know is that Hal Steinbrenner pushed for the Yankees to have more balance. That meant less reliance on data. And I know it's going to piss some people off. And, you know, if it does, I just, I'm going to just tell you it, how it actually is, right? Yeah, let it. This league is, and every industry is moving towards data, right? Just because you have X amount of years of experience does not make you qualified to determine what has intrinsic value or not if you can't prove it. If you can't prove something with the amount of information that's publicly available, I just don't care what you're going to say. And no industry and organization is going to care. But the Yankees, unfortunately, moved away from that direction. When we look at some of the most successful teams in baseball and the teams that we want the Yankees to emulate, it's the Dodgers. It's the Braves, it's the Astros, though I wouldn't say as much from a front office perspective this year. You're looking more like 2017 to 2022. Um, The Rays, the Orioles, teams like that who make consistently great decisions based on data. And I think the minor league, and 
it's it's really good timing that people got called up so that you can kind of tie it into the minor league system here. But the Yankees are extremely data-driven. They're minor league guys. Like th- There was the interview on foul territory TV where Ben Ruda discusses how, you know, the, all the Yankees try to do is hit home runs a lot of stuff. Well, yeah, they're drafting guys based on certain data points they have. And those data points are they make X. Their swing decisions are in this range of outcomes or this range where they want guys with really good swing decisions and great power. They draft these guys, they develop these guys, they either trade them or in this case, in Pereira's case, they get called up to the major league level. I understand the Yankees have not produced a lot of major major league talent from their system between 2019 and 2021. But with that being said, you have to t- you have to remember that you lost an entire season of development in 2020. They really had, I mean, Matt Blake, Sam Bryan, uh, Breen, um, Dylan Lawson when he was here, uh, these guys really got it. Only got their hands on this new crop of prospects in 2021. Like they lost. And you the have entire to remember. Season. You have to remember the period over which AJ Pierzynski was trying to criticize them for. So Ben Ruda, for anyone who somehow missed this, former not even prospect Ben Ruda, who was an outfielder in the Yankees minor league system for a few years. And most recently in 2019, went on that foul territory show and he said, the Yankees don't teach anyone to play baseball. Analytics were used against me. They said I was getting lucky. All the drills are weird and bizarre. It's no surprise why they have all these high strikeout guys in the majors, which is like an especially weird criticism to make of this year's team. And... Then AJ, uh, AJ Pruszynski was talking about how the Yankees haven't developed anyone. Everson Pereira, who turned 22 four months ago and was in double A to start this season and just got called up, he's 22 years old. Like, over if we're talking about if you're going to say analytics showed up in 2019, which first of all, like ridiculous statement on its face, obviously, you're going to say analytics showed up in 2019 and the Yankees overhauled the way they do their minor league development. You have to wait for the guys who were developed allegedly ostensibly differently to arrive. They were literal children when the philosophy was changed. When were they supposed to get here? Whipple, you had a great tweet about this. Please call me down and bring in your measured perspective. Yeah, no, I mean, I think like that specific argument is so frustrating just because like what what are people expecting to see like this is what people have been waiting for and so this current crop of prospects is the future of the Yankees and what could be arguably compared to teams like the Orioles or teams bringing in like the Rays bringing in a a crop of prospects to augment the major league team the Yankees if you look at their development timeline the previous core really and I think people want to forget this but that team fueled a lot of success between 2017 and 2019 and people want to say the Yankees couldn't develop major league hitters even if it was pre or whatever people think analytics started in 2018 whatever this falls on the spectrum the Yankees developed Judge Gary they developed Glaber they traded guys for David Robertson Tommy Canely and Zach Britton so that's ways you can use guys too I mean the prospects that they traded were valuable guys and even guys who might not have panned out to the level that people were would have expected the Miguel Andujar's and the Clint Frazier's contributed to teams I mean Miguel Andujar important part of the 2018 Yankees Clint Frazier important part of the 2020 Yankees Jordan Montgomery Luis Severino like all of these guys were so important to the last, I'd say, sustained six high-level success of the Yankees. And this current core hasn't had the opportunity to do that, hasn't even had the opportunity to sniff the majors because most of these guys haven't been called up or haven't been to AAA. So we're, I think we're entering in 2024 something that is similar to maybe where we were 2017. And maybe that's optimistic, but... Why is that optimistic when Baseball America says they have the tie for the most top 100 prospects? Why should we say this is going to be a long rebuild that hasn't even started when the facts are out there to prove just the opposite? I think everybody is writing off the Yankees when they're ignoring right in front of them. As you said, this current timeline is exactly hitting the majors right now. And the way to view 2022 and 2023 could be as transition years. And I think the kind of the hot start last year might have skewed that a little bit. 
But you know what? Why are we faulting the Yankees for playing above their heads or you know, playing really well. I, I mean, I wouldn't even say above their heads, but why are we faulting them for trying to compete when they're in a quote unquote transition period? The the way the Yankees talk about competing sometimes, I think just skews people's minds on this subject, but the Yankees are, they go through transition years. They go through peak years. I think the 2017 to 2020 Yankees are a class or a step above in a lot of areas what the 2021 to 2023 Yankees are but I think the 2021 2023 Yankees are playing a lot better than the last transition year of the <laughs> oh Yankees my gosh, yeah. so like that's the way maybe that's not the right way to view it but I think there's a lot of legitimate reasons to view it that way and the only reason people aren't doing that is because they just don't want to see what's right in front of them are you guys aware that Blake Rutherford is in the major leagues and the Yankees are going to be facing him this week isn't that yeah, with the Nationals? Yeah, yeah. 26 with the Nationals debuting this year, right? Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. played 10 games, uh, which I love. Congratulations also, to Blake Rutherford on making the majors. I also wanted to mention, you know, so because the the time period that Ben Rudin was criticizing the organization for, now he only talked position players. So I'm assuming that's what he's most referring to, right? That's yeah. where his area of complaint is. What if I told you that, so Ben Rudin was in the organization from 2016 to 2019. The team with the most F4 from rookie position players with the New York Yankees from 2016-2019 at 20.5. The only team to get over 20 F4 from their rookies in that time span. So the Yankees were producing better rookies than anybody in the organization. And were using it as a period to criticize the organization for their minor league development. People don't... Let me, let me just make this clear. People don't want to tell the story of the Yankees. Nope. They want to tell the story that's going to get clicks. The story that's going to get clicks is coming out and saying that the Yankees have a flawed development system in their minor leagues. Lan I, I, I can't pronounce his last name, but this is my guy. Lance. I believe. Yeah, I'm really bad with pronouncing names. I deeply apologize. Um, but he was talking about there is a gap typically between the minor league and major league development. They don't intersect as much as people think. It is completely possible for the Yankees to, for by the way, an old team to take a step back. That's not completely illogical, right? And that's a fair criticism to make of the team. Like, hey, they're old and they took a step back and that happened. But as you guys mentioned, like it's it's easy to transition from this. There are a lot, there are, I could list off ones, I could list off like 10 guys who could make their major league debut next, next year and reasonably be impact players. But, you know, end of the day, what this team is right now and what they've been this year can be bad. It can be bad. And I think it has been bad but it doesn't necessarily mean that their minor league development is bad or that they don't know yep. what they're doing at that level. And it certainly doesn't mean that analytics are the issue. I mean, good Lord. And we're in the year 2023. The Dodgers have won a world series. The Braves have won the world series. The Astros have won two. And we're sitting here and we're still having conversations about whether data driven teams are going to win the world <laughs> series or not. Ken Rosenthal went on foul territory TV and said, Imagine, well, you know, the Yankees have kind of lost their feel. They're just so analytical. They tried to bunt their way into a win against the Boston Red Sox. And I'm trying, and I'm being told that this team has a nerd giving them a spreadsheet of what to do every game. Like, I, I just, I, I don't, I don't know what, like, I don't know what people are watching, right? Like I watch every single game. You guys watch every single game. I don't like, what are we, we're not, are we not watching the same thing they're watching? I'm watching a team that's slow. That doesn't compute well analytically. You want to be a good base running team. I'm watching a team that doesn't slug a lot. That's not a thing that analytics support. I'm watching a team that doesn't get on base. That's not a thing analytics support, right? Like I, being a bad baseball team does not mean you're analytical. That's what I think people conflate. You're playing bad baseball. Therefore you're an analytics team. The Yankees are like middle of the pack in strikeout rate. They're they're middle of the pack. I mean, we're talking like I this think they team. have a top ten contact rate too. Right, like we're we're talking like this. Like I, I, my my issue with how the team is covered is that you know number one, it's just the constant need to say things the way that people want to hear them. Right, like Michael K goes on his show and he says like here's how things happened. The Yankees had a really good year in 2022 and then got swept. They were one of the final four teams standing. Is that a is that a failure? To some people, that'll be yes, and 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 the players will tell you yes. But as an organization, if you get that close and you tell your and you're like, okay, we are four games away. When you sign a guy like Carlos Rodon, and you know you you anticipate that you don't have to play Donaldson as much because you're going to have Lemayhu as the backup, and everyone in the fan base is going to understand if you let him go. You 
are ready to move on from Hicks. They DFA'd him pretty early. Um, when you're willing to, you know, you, when most of the guys you feel like were problems on your team are, are guys you feel like you can move on from pretty easily and you think you have the guys in the organization to help you, and it just doesn't work out. It just doesn't work out, right? Again, they could, they should have had more insurance policies. Yes, they should have gone out and get a, got, gotten a left fielder. But part of that, too, is why is Hal Steinbrenner using the $293 million luxury tax threshold as a hard cap, right? Because if that's not a hard cap, Brian Cashman goes out and gets somebody. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, why is Hal Steinbrenner being able to tell Brian Cashman when to sell or not? That's on. That's not on Brian Cashman at that point. That's on Hal Steinbrenner. And him not buying ends up being the right decision. He made the right call. Thank God this team didn't buy. Could you imagine if Everson Pereira was like on the Cubs and we had Cody Bellinger and we were still playing like this? I mean, <laughs> we would be sitting here. I would be, I mean, not even uh, Everson Pereira. It, it, like a random FCL guy. I don't know guy. if you even would be sitting here. I right. I know. Like, could you imagine if like the Yankees traded like Richard Fitz or God forbid traded Drew Thorpe, who I know what team hey, would have Ryan, really before you, before you mention anyone else, I want to see how many of the players that you said could debut next year, Whipple and I can combine to name. All right, go. Let's see if we got. Whipple, you go first. Wait, so it's guys that, were like already mentioned guys too yeah the, I, sure, okay. I like Pereira's obviously on the list okay clayton beater i i i, I, I dude i forgot about Should be on warren. the list i forgot about okay. him and warren the pitching staff is oh, so warren good down there i forgot about guest <laughs> i forgot yeah. about both of them okay clayton beater drew thorpe will warren chase yeah. hampton i i didn't put hampton here just because he's like, a far off i i, he he, I don't He's good, but like I don't know because he's 21. Like it depends on next yeah. year, right? Like if, if next year he has like a ridiculous year in double A, then he might not even pitch in triple A. He has he has the best stuff in the organization, but I don't okay. think I feel like anyone in double A has a shot next yeah, year. Yeah, they're know, good. Maybe not. Let me take no, it. I don't down. think you're wrong. I think there's an argument for Hampton. I just kind of I want I I I didn't want to throw him on there and kind of put that burden on him. Let me take a few. Dominguez, Ben Rice. Yep. Let's see. Oh, yeah, I know you love Caleb Durbin. That's my guy. Caleb That's my guy. That's my guy. <laughs> Caleb Durbin's my guy. If Caleb Durbin is listening to this podcast, Caleb Durbin, I want you to know that you are my guy. Like, you're my dude. I love this guy. Caleb Durbin, please slug a little bit more. <laughs> dude, as long as as long as your WRC plus is over is over 100 and you're still 5'6", man, you're my guy. That's, like, that's is Chaparro on the list? I didn't put Chaparro just because I don't know where the Yankees he, can put him. Yeah, I feel like he's yeah, going to be fair. gone. Uh, yeah, it's an unfortunate loss, but like it's one of those things where it reflects well in the organization yeah. if he gets picked in the Rule 5, which is like a dark thing to say, but it's not really dark. I mean, it's not like the guy – I mean, the guy's getting a job some, somewhere, so it's an awesome thing for him. But like do they have room at first base, and are they going to play him at third? I don't think they will play him at third. Yeah. But that tells you about the depth of the organization. Like We can sit here and have a conversation about – Hey, this is a guy who last year had above average contact rates and hit 20 home runs in like 60 games in double A. And that's a guy you're not sure has a future here. Like, that's incredible. That's a good situation to be in. I mean, you got Austin per- Wells is on the list. Yes. Trace uh, Sweeney yeah. on the list. I don't have Sweeney on the list. He's hurt right now. I don't know what yeah. his future looks like. He's in a weird like spot. Yeah. Okay. He so he hasn't had it. I think we can transition into prospect talk now. All right. Not that we haven't already, but. I think the the headliners are Pereira and Peraza. Ryan and Whipple. We'll start with Pereira. I'm going to tell you the thing that I'm most concerned about with each of the guys, and I want each of you to tell me the thing that you're most excited about with each of the guys. So I'll start. I'll go to Whipple, then Ryan. Everson Pereira. I... Oh, sorry. I've looked at his like bat to ball stuff in triple a he's a high 20 strikeout guy and he makes less contact and less contact in the zone than Estevan Florial. So if we're talking about immediate major league returns, I have some concerns about Pereira as far as his ability to just handle major league pitching. Now, calling him up at the end of what's effectively a lost season when he's 21 years old or 22 years old and getting him 150 plate appearances or whatever it is, is a great time in his development to deal with the fact that he can't handle major league pitching. But I'm concerned about like just 
Ever Sinclair's ability to put the bat on the ball in the majors. Whipple, give me something to be excited about with him. I mean, it has to be the exit velocity, the launch angle, the fact that he's hitting over 300, he's slugging in AAA, but having an average exit velocity that's basically in the range of an above average to to star major leaguer right now, I think it's like 93 miles an hour. And that's I mean, so the number, cool. the yeah, the quality of contact is there. And I think the what you said is like the flip side of that. Like we know he can hit the ball hard. We know he can slug at whatever level he's at. There's the holes in the swing, the swing and miss, bat to ball issues. But man, I mean, if you're hitting like that triple A and you can put up like that, his numbers are not fake. It's all real. And I think it gives you a lot to be excited about when, <laughs> although now I'm like, <laughs> every time I say exit velocity, I'm like, well, Ben Ruda thinks that's a bad thing. So maybe... <laughs> that's how but, you like, know it's the... a good thing. Yeah, what I love when Ben Ruda was like, that was the first time an analytic was used against me. Like, that was, it was like awesome. some kind of weapon. But no, yeah, I mean, he was doing a great job of coming off like a guy with an axe to grind. Exactly. They and all the analytics, however they're <laughs> used, um, do do support the quality of contact metrics are really high on on per. I, I'm really excited to see how that translates. Setting some long home runs down there. Sure is, Ryan. Number one thing to be excited about with Everson Pereira. Everson Pereira is chasing a lot less. Like his chase rate, like two weeks ago, was like thirty something. I remember because on the 18th specifically, I was writing, getting ready to write like the Everson Pereira got promoted yeah. article because I thought it was going to happen that day, uh, and it didn't. So I was just sitting there in the draft, and I cross reference. I'm like, on that day, his chase rate was 30.1 percent. It's dropped to 28.9 percent. It's precipitously falling. In the month of August, he's walked 13.6 percent of the time. Now well, he is swinging in zone less as well, but he has an elite in zone swing rate, so you don't really care about that. Um, I, I mean, if he ever figures out a way to just not swing at everything, mm-hmm. even with the whiff issues, you'll live with it, right? Like at that point, it totally. becomes a matter of like, all right, you know, it's and it's not like he's because like Judge, what makes him strike out a lot is also a huge like. Everson Pereira is 5'11", so if he has whiff issues, but he doesn't chase too much, and obviously he has, uh, you know, we've talked about, I mean, his power is ridiculous. There is, th- that's how he becomes a major league hitter. Like, that's yeah. it right there. I don't know if he'll ever make above average contact rates, but as but you just need it to be bearable. That's all. You just need it to exactly, be Exactly, yeah. When you have a barrel machine, like, that, and it's kind of, I, I'm not in any way comparing Everson Pereira to Jake Bowers, except in the favorable ways. Like the terrible thing about this Jake Bowers cold streak has been, yeah, he's striking out like 44% of the time or whatever, which is awful. When he hits the ball, he still destroys it. You just need him to hit the ball a little more. And then it's compounded by him having awful batted ball luck, which God, Jake Bowers, if I could just change one thing for you, it would be your batted ball luck. And then you could be the, the goat that I know you are, but that's like that's the thing with Pereira, right? Is as long as he doesn't end up in these 40% strikeout rate slumps, he's going to crush the ball when he puts the bat on it. And then it's just the question of is he putting the bat on it enough that he's an all-star corner outfielder? Is he putting the bat on the ball enough that he's a pretty good one, a serviceable one, or like one where you have to be like, okay, maybe you can't handle major league pitching. And I don't think anyone thinks there's a huge risk of that. And if there is, let him work it out now. As I said, he's 22. The Yankees aren't making the playoffs. This is a perfect time for him to go through those struggles. Oswald Peraza. I have a couple of reservations about Peraza. Only one of them is like his fault, though, in the style of the Everson Pereira swing and miss problem. The first is... We have to assume that if Oswald Peraza is being called up and playing every day, he's doing that at third base. So my assumption of the roster math here is Greg Allen DFA, Oswaldo Cabrera option. Peraza comes up, plays third, and there's some sort of like Jake Bowers, DJ LeMayhew timeshare at first base. And Pereira is the everyday left fielder. So that's the situation you find yourself in. The one concern about Peraza is just like his value isn't maximized at third base. He's at a place where his glove isn't used to the extent that it ought to be. And his bat compares less favorably to the rest of the guys in at his position in the league. 
And the reason for that is even though he has pretty good plate discipline, like he'll walk a bunch in the majors, which is cool. And, you know, he's not going to strike out an ungodly amount of the time, especially if last year is any indication for us to look at. But even if it's like 20%, which is basically what he's been as a major leaguer, that's, you know, less than the average major leaguer. He, he doesn't slug. Like I, I don't have a ton of confidence in Oswald Peraza's ability to slug at the major league level. So even if he's like a 350 or even 370 on base guy between some BABIP luck and a bunch of walks, like where is the OPS coming from with him? That's my big reservation about Oswald Peraza. Whipple, what about what about you? What should I be excited about? Well, I think we've seen Oswald Peraza play well in the majors and we've seen him play poorly. I think it's a little less to dream on than Pereira just because we know him a little more. But we've seen some great things in his time up. The defense is certainly as his calling card. Um, he's shown a great ability to get on base. And I think in the minors, we've seen him go on some runs that have been very impressive. Um, even his numbers recently have been great, but specifically in his last series against Worcester, he went nine for 27 with a homer, triple and double. And I was looking earlier, the Rail Riders beat writer said he's been staying in the ball. It seems like he's trending in the right direction. I don't know if the numbers, like you said, are as much to dream on as Pereira, but Peraza has, he has things that he does well. And I think if he can get to the majors, if he can use his glove and he can show any kind of ability with the bat. I mean, I don't know what the future alignment of the infield the Yankees looks like, but Peraza definitely has a chance to maybe not be shortstop, but I think contribute. I think ideally he would, you know, come up and what I'd like to see most out of him is just handling third base really well, because I mean, I really feel like Glaber Torres should be a part of this team's long-term plans. And I feel like Oswald Peraza, maybe he's the second baseman of the future, but to me, being able to handle third, showing hitting ability, but really showing an ability to field third really well, um, which I think he's talented enough to do, but that's the thing that I would be most excited to watch him develop. And Ryan, what should I be excited about with respect to Peraza? So the weird thing with Oswald Peraza is like he's a completely different hitter in AAA than he is at the major league level. Like his yeah. outside, his out of zone swing rate is like a lot higher down there, and his whiff rate's a lot higher down there. But he comes up here and he just walks a lot and then doesn't strike out. But if you look at like raw exit velocity stuff, so his 90th percentile exit velocity, that's in the 59th percentile. His max exit velocity, I think it was 112.1 miles per hour. That's really good, right? Like yeah. the exit velocity stuff, like the, the the raw power is there. Like you can see where it exists. And you look at the home run numbers. I know it's AAA. I know the ball's just flying out there. But even for AAA, he has a good amount of home runs, right? And he's hitting for a good amount of power. So I guess the question- context for people who aren't super plugged into this, Oswald Peraza has an 836 OPS in AAA. 836, that's a phenomenal OPS. If you're in the majors, it's a 107 WRC plus in, in AAA. Yeah. For comparison, his 832 OPS in the majors last year was a 146 WRC plus. The offense that's going on in that league with the juice balls is ridiculous. It's hilarious. Like it's it's legitimately hilarious. Like I insane. And I guess what makes it what makes him weird is that again, like he's just not like he I don't know what he I don't know what his play discipline is. It's almost like what is Oswald Peraza's play discipline <laughs> in what league? <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, he seems almost timid at the major league level. And I get it, right? Like you're like now you're facing actually good pitching. I like completely understand it. But there is like the, the tools are there. I wonder if the Yankees getting a month to look at him allows them to see some things they like or don't like in his swing, try to improve them, whatever it may be, but yeah, I think there's more to dream on with Pereira, obviously. And there's more there's more reasons to believe Pereira's going to be a great hitter, but there's a lot of reasons to believe that Peraza, at the very least, is a productive major league player. Doesn't have to be a hitter, doesn't have to be a starter, but he's versatile, he's a great defender, good base runner, and apparently can work walks. It depends on who you ask. <laughs> it is so weird. He His only double-digit walk percentage seasons aside from 10 games of rookie ball are the times he spent in the majors. 
it's ridiculous. He had a 10.5% walk rate in 2022 with the Yankees, 12.5% thus far this year with the Yankees. He's never walked more than 9.7% of the time in the rest of his minor league career. It's so weird. So, Ryan, one thing I mentioned earlier on the podcast is that in addition to your player development expertise, you have pitching development expertise and broadly pitching expertise. Richard Fitz, Drew Thorpe, Will Warren, Clayton Beater, Brock Selvage, Chase Hampton, Randy Vasquez, Johnny Brito, Mitch, Mitch Spence, none the richer. The list goes on. I just want to give you some time to get out and run and tell us about Yankees pitching prospects. Maybe you start with Drew Thorpe, who you are maybe provocatively calling the best Yankees pitching prospect of your lifetime, wherever you want to take this, just we've talked about how vi- how bad the vibes could have been on this podcast. I think we've made them pretty good. The Yankees helped us out by making a couple moves. Can you please just improve the vibes even more by talking about how great the Yankees are at developing pitching and the guys we should be watching out for here in the near future? Yeah, so first off, Spence, Fitz, and Thorpe are all in the top four or five in innings pitch this year. They have workhorses down there. They have guys who are going to pitch deep into games. And I know, you know, Mitch Spence is just kind of like, you just project him out as like, if the Yankees really needed a fifth starter for like two or three starts, you call him up. But like, I think stuff plus might be like screwed or something with him because his stuff plus a slider is like 180 or something. He (laughs) has some wicked pitches. He's a weird pitcher. (laughs) He had, dude, like I, 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 if you go on the, the uh, stuff plus spreadsheet, Mitch Spence has a 181. Oh, it's a 181.8 stuff plus cutter and a 129.6. I think they messed up what his cutter and fastball are. They think his cutters, his slider and his slider is a different pit. It's a weird situation, but you know, Spence is just kind of like a depth guy. I I like Spence as like a depth dude, but you know, he's not, you're not looking at him to become an ace or anything like that. Let's talk about the guys who can become like really good. So Will Warren, he stands out in the sense of, he has really good stuff numbers, right? Like 161.4 stuff plus on the sweeper, 137.1 on the sinker. Uh, that's ridiculous. Like that's stupid. That's That shouldn't <laughs> happen. That's not a thing that should exist, but it does. Um, and, and then you have who I, of course, have been dubbing the best uh, pitching prospect of my lifetime for the Yankees. Drew Thorpe is special. Drew Thorpe, I mean, he's getting guys to whiff at above and 38% clip. And he's also pitching deep into games. Like he, he has 123.2 innings pitch and that's behind Fitz and Spence, but Fitz has 22 starts. Spence has 23 starts. Drew Thorpe has made 20 starts in his last 12. He's averaging six and two third innings pitch. He's striking out over 35% of batters. His strikeout to walk <laughs> rates like 35. It's, it's, it is 30%. He's been ridiculous. Like there are guys who just, who, who they, they either struggle with their stuff, with their command, or with pitching deep into games, or some myriad of that group. Drew Thorpe doesn't walk a lot of batters. Drew Thorpe is in like the 80th or 90th percentile and pitches in zone. He gets whiffs at a near 40% clip, and he pitches deep into games every single time. This dude has no problem going three times through the order. I don't think he's had a start where he's faced fewer than 20 batters. Like, he will face guys routinely three times through the order. If you just look at the total batters faced on his game log uh, over the course of the season, it's 26, 25, 23, 23, 26, 27, 26, 20, 27, 23, 24, 26, 24, 24, 22, 20, 26, 20, 21, 24. Like, that's not... That's not human. God, you shouldn't be. You should not be able to do that in your first pro season coming out of college. And he's made some velo gains. If he makes another velo gain, if he goes from like ninety two to ninety three, I've said I, I told you guys if he goes from ninety two to ninety three to ninety three to ninety four, he becomes really good. And if he goes from ninety two to ninety three to ninety four to ninety five, he's a problem. Like for everyone in the league, like he immediately becomes like best pitcher, uh, pitching prospect in the planet like type deal right now now roki sasaki probably him his his existence is gonna that's a different it's yeah it's you get kind of get i guess like stateside prospect you have schemes as well so that that also skews things but he's in that discussion for like some of the top guys right now and it can get even better this guy is just special i think he's really good and then you have chase hampton drew thorpe has struck out 159 batters in 123 and two yeah it's insane like as Ryan and I were discussing earlier, 
if Drew Thorpe were str- getting whiffs at this rate in the majors this year, he would have the highest whiff rate of any qualified starter. He's like if Spencer Strider and George Kirby were one guy. Like that's that's the profile, right? He strikes everyone out and he doesn't walk anyone and he pitches deep into every game. Yeah, and I obviously I'm recognizing the stuff isn't obviously as good as Strider. Strider has ridiculous yeah, of course stuff. Not. And Kirby, he throws his fastball a lot harder. But from like a like the changeup's really good. The breaking balls have gotten better. The fastball plays, and because it has vertical life, it plays really well off the changeup. This guy's really good. Like now, yeah. if you wanted to talk about his double A counterparts, you have Fitz and Hampton. Hampton is like the Hamptons. If you if if you took a you know if you took Drew Thorpe, gave him much better stuff, but took away the command and pitchability, right? Made it a little bit worse. And Fitz is like just the slightly like he's like the drew thorpe light he pitches deep into games he doesn't walk guys he gets strikeouts though it's not the ridiculous rate as thorpe uh, uh, that thorpe has but he's i've given him the the you know the honor of he's my jordan montgomery jordan montgomery never stood out as a pitching prospect he just was pretty good but you had chad green like oh you know he's really good in 2016 with his strikeout numbers the era wasn't there turned out to be a great reliever um you know you had guys like you know Davy Garcia came around a couple years later. You had Chance Adams. You had Justin Sheffield. Like those guys were the guys that everyone were talking about, right? Sessa even at at some point was a guy who you expected could make starts. And Montgomery just won the job. He made six AAA starts the year before, and he just won the job. And he had a really good rookie year. Richard Fitz is kind of like that. He has good enough stuff. He gets a lot of strikeouts. He throws a lot of strikes. He doesn't walk guys. He's very much just plug and play. Like if he made a major league start today, He'd look like he's been there for a while. And I think that's important. So they have a lot of, I mean, Vasquez is obviously in the stuff, no command kind of category. Um, you have plenty of guys who are in that category. And I think that's a good thing to have. You prefer to have stuff first guys over command first guys. Stuff first guys get drafted and win Cy Youngs. Command first guys, you know, they end up in, they're the fifth starter in a Scranton team. You know what I mean? That's what those guys are. So there's, the Yankees have stuff first guys. I know people are like, oh, they're all relievers, not starters. Well, I mean, have the Yankees needed starting pitching over the last like year before this year? Last year, like who did they need to fill in the rotation? They had Herman make starts. I know he wasn't, you know, lighting it up, but he was okay. You know, I I don't know. People make a big deal out of the lack of starters recently, but like you'd rather sign Garrett Cole than let or or you know trade for James Paxton than say, hey, Justice Sheffield, you're starting now. Like, of course, a win now team is not going to focus development over winning. So. Overall, very excited about the pitching side of the farm. A lot of stuff plus guys. Yeah, Brian, I, I mean, while we have you, I'd love to just get your take on kind of like the 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 reasons that this has been such a quick transformation for the Yankee system. Because I always say to people, like, if you had, we had a podcast five years ago, we'd be talking about why the Yankees can't draft, develop, sign any good pitching. I mean, the Yankees pitching being the unquestioned strength of the team is so new. And I think a lot of new fans really don't realize that what they're doing is basically building pitchers out of nothing. I mean, if you look at what Drew Thorpe was coming into the draft last or in 2022, he was below average fastball and projected as I think he was like projected as one like 60, 70th pick in the draft. And it was just somebody that nobody really had confidence in, but could be built out if they could get him to add velocity on the fastball. Obviously, he was always successful, and then he turned into this. And that's just so common. I mean, we see this every single year for the past few years. You know, Will Warren was like this. Chase Hampton's like this. What, what in your mind have the Yankees been doing to get the starters and the pitchers to this point? I mean, what do you like see as the greatest strengths of that pitching development Instead of just saying they're developing good pitching, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, so the big thing they do is, again, they draft based on data points. They have certain guys that hit certain data points for them, whether it's stats in their pitch shape or on the offensive side of things, their offensive profile. They draft guys that they feel they can develop well and fit those profiles. They took a risk, like, for example, on Richard Fitz, and I know you mentioned this with Thorpe, where he's more of a project. The Yankees are really good at building velocity. Richard Fitz was talking about this in an interview where, like, he was working with the pitching coaches, and he specifically mentioned, like, a velo build that they were working with, right? That type of development, right, that's the type of stuff that makes you a really good organization. It's developing velocity developing stuff i'm going to give you the write-up on on richard fitz coming into this into that draft right and it's after operating with a low 90 sinker as a reliever fitz began employing a four-seam fast with a starter he showed the ability to sit 93 95 for several innings and reach 97 with 97 miles per hour with quality vertical life on his heater last year and has mostly held that velocity in 2021 he has two promising secondary pitches with his upper 80s changeup and some splitter action 
Um, but both have regressed considerably this spring. He got hurt, and it was really he went from a first round pick to a guy that was ranked as the 222nd prospect on Baseball America and 149 on MLB.com. And right now, he's one of the better pitching prospects in baseball. And right now, he's a guy who in double A fits the criteria of a good ERA, good strikeout to walk numbers, good volume, doing this in his first full season double A, his second full season as a pro. They're getting guys who hit those data points and, you know, either improving their velocity, which improves your entire arsenal. When you add about a mile per hour to your fastball, you get about 0.75 miles per hour on your breaking balls. That improves your stuff a lot. If you took a sweeper that was 81, 82, it made it 83, 84. That pitch goes from average to one of the best sweepers in baseball, right? And the Yankees are identifying these things. They they also really love the sweeping slider. They, they teach that to a lot of guys. Fitz is throwing one now. Um, what they've done is really identify pitches that either A, can get better, or B, can improve their arsenal, give them a high stuff plus pitch that can either deal uh, with righties or lefties hammering those points home. Hey, you have one or two really good pitches. Let's hammer those home and let's add a couple of things as we go on. And it's working. These guys are getting strikeouts. These guys are pitching deep into games. A lot of these guys have pitchability. And that's something that people don't talk about enough with prospects. These guys can go three times through the order, at least in Thorpe, Fitz, and uh, Spence and Selvage's case. You know they can, right? And they have plenty of guys who have worked deep innings this year, have pushed their innings limit. Will Warren's one of those guys, Clayton Beater, especially he's really pushing the limits as to how much he can pitch. He wasn't supposed to be a starter. The Dodgers. Yeah, were- I had always thought of Clayton Beater as like ridiculous, like, you know, next Jonathan Loisega type right. deal. And now he's throwing a ton of innings. Like I yeah. do not know I- where this came from. I think he'll end up being a reliever in a long sure. run, but what I think he ends up being and what the Yankees are currently trying to have him be you know, have not been the same thing. The Yankees have, you know, the Yankees have said, hey, you can be a starter. And myself included, a lot of people are like, he can't start. And they lights up double A and you're like, maybe he can start. This is really his first full season getting a starter's workload. Chase Hampton, he's over the 100 inning threshold. He is way up from his innings pitched in college, his, his career best down there. So they're pushing these guys in terms of getting the most out of them. Their stuff is great. The velo gains are great. None of these guys were first round picks. None of these guys were highly touted pitching prospects. Drew Thorpe was was apparently a reach. Uh, you know, Will Warren was an eighth rounder. Richard Fitz, a sixth rounder. Clayton Beater was for Joey Gallo, who the Yankees absolutely had to trade at the time. Brock Selvage was a third rounder in 2020. Um, I mean, when you do that consistently, uh, you can, I mean, Wes Neski and Waldachuk were not highly touted prospects coming into their drafts. And when they got drafted and they came through the Yankee system, they became guys that you got Scott Efros and the second best star on that market for, right? So I don't really care what people have to say about the starting pitching development. I know what the industry says. I know what the results are at the minor league level. And I know what they've been able to trade some of these guys for. And that's all that's, that matters to me. That's beautiful, Ryan. And I think you showcased why that is something that we perceive as such a skill for you, because you just got me pretty hyped about basically everyone. Um, I just threw in Mitch Spence because I like saying Mitch Spence, none the richer. I understand that he's not in that group. He's also the only guy we mentioned who has turned 25. And especially when you're talking about college guys and the speed of their development, like it's remarkable that we are talking about so many guys who just turned 22 or are about to turn 23, who we expect to be competing for spots on this upcoming season's roster and contributing at the major league level. Like I understand college players are slightly more finished products, but the idea that the Yankees would take these guys drafted from college in the United States who are 21, 22 years old. And by the time they're 23, have them ready to get guys out at the major league level. I think that's really impressive. And it's easy to, so many people have the criticism of the Yankees that like they just let guys rot in the minors, which is aside from a couple of cases when they're showing that they don't believe in guys, like obviously not true. Um, what they're doing with these pitchers, the speed with which they're promoting these guys, the readiness that these guys have to get pro hitters out, like this is something to be really, really excited about. And when we stack that up against the fact that they've had a breakthrough with Anthony Volpe, he is now a legitimate major league hitting threat. If he pulls the ball in the air a little bit more, like watch out 
the fact that they're calling up Everson Pereira and giving him a shot, the fact that they're calling up Peraza and giving him a shot, the fact that they just promoted Dominguez and that he's been crushing it despite the fact that he's almost four years younger than the average player in double A. I don't know how you can't be excited about what the Yankees are doing from a player dev perspective. And then like, let's tie it back to the big picture. Carlos Rodon is going to be better next year. They're going to get more out of him in 2024 than they did in 2023. The same is true of Nestor Cortez. Honestly, Garrett Cole's peripherals are going to be way better next year than they've been this year. You add that to the fact that you have a legitimate guy in Clark Schmidt who can throw innings productively at the major league level. You add that to the fact that you only need like one or two guys to hit out of the entire group of Warren and Selvage and Hampton and Thorpe and Heal and Vasquez and Brito. That's seven dudes who we'd be fine seeing start games for the Yankees next year. You add that to the fact that they're obviously going to do something on the open market, that they're obviously going to trade someone because they have all these prospects, some of whom are now in the high minors, guys that they need to do something with. Like, am I wrong, Whipple, for thinking that there's actually a lot to be excited about. Like I saw that, that Connor McGuire tweet that was, would you rather get rid of Cashman and have a complete rebuild or sign Shohei Otani? And everyone was like the mere presence of Brian Cashman dooms the team and proves that it can't win a world series. Like I'm pumped. I know this is like in my nature, but I'm psyched after this. Like, am I wrong? No, I mean, I think the biggest thing is, again, if we're going to separate the success of last year from the disappointment of this year, we need to separate the disappointment of this year from what we expect for next year. And Absolutely. I don't bet on sports, but I, I'm honestly considering going and placing some big bets on the Yankees to win the East because you know what? The Yankees aren't going to rebuild. And if they're going to rebuild, why are they going to rebuild? Because all of the guys you just said are ready to contribute to the majors, which ties back in to my point from the beginning, which is... Yep. Why isn't this considered as, you know, just as monumental of a move into a new core as, say, the Orioles were at the end of last year? And it's simply because of the disappointment that surrounded this year and the expectations. But if you look at Yankees development, I think you have to look at pre-COVID and post-COVID. And ever since 2021, starting in that year when the Yankees really didn't have many guys who were ready to contribute at the major league level. And we saw the problems that caused for that team. The Yankees player development has just taken off in every possible way. And so I'm going to judge them based on those results. And I think based on those results, it's been a three-year arc of development separate from what has gone on the major league level. And to me, that's signaling a new core and, a new era of Yankees baseball. I mean, is it that crazy to think that? I know it doesn't go in the perfect narrative arc that everyone likes to hear, but I think it's just as legitimate as anything else we've said. The Yankees have been looking for a couple years to for the right guys to put around Aaron Judge and Garrett Cole, I think is the way to describe it. And they got rid of a lot of the guys who they tried to put around them in 2020 and 2021. If you think of... Gary Sanchez, Joey Gallo, Gio Rochella, Aaron Hicks, that group of guys. A lot of those, well, everyone I mentioned, but a lot of the guys that came along with them, Jordan Montgomery and so on, are gone. The process of building the new cast of guys to go along with your Cy Young winner and your MVP is being driven internally in a way that we haven't seen in a while. The last time they tried to get their Cy Young winner and their MVP internally in Judge and Severino. And frankly, in 2017 and 18, it worked really well. And then they brought in their MVP. Ryan, this was another thing you guys discussed on Caught Looking today was there was a question of if Judge is never as good as Stanton, is that okay? So it was kind of like they brought in their MVP and Judge was the guy that they put around it. But either way, this time it's just flipped. They have their guys and they are bringing in the supporting cast from, from the inside. And I think, I think there's a lot to be excited about there. Well, guys, my dinner is going to get here soon. So we have to get to wrapping up here. We know where this goes. If we had recorded yesterday, I think we would have hit a new low after hitting a low the previous week 
on our confidence out of 10 in this team. But by showing a commitment to calling up prospects and betting on their development at the major league level, and with the information that Ryan has brought us about how optimistic we should be about pitching, I think that even though the Yankees are on an eight-game losing streak, and even though they got swept twice last week, which is hard to do, my confidence, I think, has gone up. But Whipple, customarily, I will go to you first. Yeah, I, for big picture, definitely. If we're looking at this year, I really need to see how these guys are going to be used. I need to see it in action, not results. Like, I just want to see that they're going to play. I want to see who else is coming up. I, I, I just have a hard time getting back on the getting back on the bandwagon that quickly. I'm I'm very optimistic that there is a bright future for this team and it has to come if these guys are played and they're developed or sorry, if they're deployed in certain ways and it has to come in in a wave. I mean, I think the time for messing around in that respect is over. I think there needs to be a wholesale change in how the Yankees treat these prospects. Hopefully today is the beginning of that change. I just have a hard time right now in my mind committing to being excited before i see it i i feel like that's fair considering how like bad this last few weeks have been how much totally. we've been burned everything that's gone on um I, I mean i was at a five i'll probably go down to a four and a half because while i would have gone down to probably like a three because i think we're approaching new lows on an eight game losing streak but i think it's brought back up by the fact that the guys are here like sooner rather than later, maybe not soon enough, but they're here. And you know what, like about time and hopefully it's the first of many, but I think only going down half a point after the horrific week that was, is honestly pretty impressive. And if you go up, I don't blame you. I think it's all about how you consider confidence and define it and what you're feeling, but definitely a better situation to be in. And I'm, it's given me a reason to tune in to tomorrow night's game. Not that I wouldn't already, but like a real reason besides like it's what's on TV, which kind of has been the last few days. Very fair. Ryan out of 10. Um, I think five is where I'm at. I think five is a healthy number. Um, Obviously. Yeah. Like you want it, like you can't erase what happened for, I mean, like we shouldn't be in the spot where we're talking about, okay, now we get to watch prospects and these games don't matter. Right. Like oh, we were never supposed totally. to be in this place in the first, this spot in the first place. And that, that inherently has to dock that number, but you know, I, yeah, it would have been below five had we not done this. Right. So, um, you know, they called up the guys, they called up Pereira and Peraza Dominguez is in triple a it's great. You know, again, I don't want this podcast to be perceived or this episode specifically to be perceived as like, oh, well, they just talked about things that are going well with the Yankees. And so they think that the Yankees are fine and dandy and nothing could ever go wrong. Like we, I, I think by doing this episode, we talked about how the first percentile, fifth percentile, that range of outcomes happened for the Yankees. And it's possible. This year proves that it's possible. It could happen to anybody. It could happen to any team. And you have to recognize these, these outcomes whenever you're talking about projecting for another year or talking about a season in, in general, what things, what things could end up happening. Um, but end of the day, it's hard to walk away from this season um, and, and have any positives. But the one positive I've had is that you can walk away from the season, see how things get better. There's a reasonable course of actions that don't take much firepower in terms of financials or banking on a big trade or anything like that. We're not banking on the Yankees to trade for Brian Reynolds anymore. We're not banking on the Yankees to like the savior to come in and save the franchise. At this point, it's all right. You just hope that you that the prospects that you've done a great job with for the first three or four stages of their development carry into that final stage of development. A lot of guys in this organization have been told by critics that they can't do certain things. Jason Dominguez, he he can't he can't be the guy that people think he can be. He can't cut down to strikeouts. He can't, you know, be a quality major league player because can't he's play just center all high. field, I heard. Right. Can't play center yeah. field. Can't do all these things. Um Anthony Volpe can't play shortstop, right? Everson oh. Pereira can't make enough contact, right? Drew Thorpe can't throw hard enough. Richard Fitz can't throw hard enough. Will Warren can't command the strike zone. Clayton Beater, you can't be a starter. You know what I mean? Austin Wells, you can't be a catcher. Augustine Ramirez, you just, just not a dude that people even cared about. Augustine Ramirez is sick, dude. Yeah, he's sick. Like, I, I mean, Caleb Durbin's 5'6". He probably got told at some point. I mean, he got traded for Lucas Lee. You got DFA'd, right? <laughs> at some point in their, at these guys' careers... They have been told by every Yankee writer they can't do a certain thing and no one should care about them. And all they've done is produce. And all the Yankees have done is gotten these guys to produce. 
It hasn't happened at the major league level yet, but if they can get it to happen at the major league level, the conversation that we're going to have about this team next year at this time is going to be completely different than the conversations we're having now. And all I'm asking is that people give these prospects a chance to have that conversation. I'm not saying you have to think the Yankees are going to win the East or win the World Series next year, but I think saying that they have to rebuild for like four or five years, that they're going to be awful until like 2027 is, it's ridiculous. Insane, insane. So, you know, we've talked a lot about the median outcome about how what we've seen this year is so far from the median outcome for this team, which is objective. Like it's just true that when you get first percentile outcomes from a number of your key contributors, that's not the median. Like if you understand what a median is and what a first percentile outcome is, you, you get that. A lot of people don't is what it is by giving Pereira and Peraza a chance to develop a bit at the major league level over the rest of this year. And by putting Jason Dominguez in a situation where it's not insane for him to actually compete for a spot in spring training next year, by letting Anthony Volpe be a guy all year, all of those things are things that improve the median outcome for next year. And I think that's something that is worth being excited about. So I know I always phrase it as your confidence out of 10 in this Yankees team. And frankly, I don't really have that, but I see these moves as even bigger than that. And I'm going to allow my confidence to reflect that. And I'm going to bump it up half a point, even though I just watched basically the worst week I can remember with that. We're going to wrap up here. Ryan at Ryan Garcia ESM on Twitter caught looking pod fireside Yankees. Anything I'm missing that you need to or want to or feel like plugging? Uh, the Caleb Durbin fan club. That's basically it. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Um, with that, that's it from us. You can keep up with us at yankeesfiles.com. You can follow us on Twitter. We're at Yankees Files. You can either fo- even follow us on TikTok where we're at Yankees Files Podcast. This has been a great time. Ryan, it was great having you on again. Our most frequent guest potentially our best guest people are talking it's kind of like you or the dads who knows anyway we've enjoyed it we'll be back here same time same place next week to recap blake rutherford's reign of terror against the 2023 new york yankees and until then let's go yankees